I want to call your attention now to the book of Job. Job chapter 22. Job 22, and we'll read verses 15 through 17. These are the words of Eliphaz to Job. Hast thou marked the old way which wicked men have trodden, which were cut down out of time, whose foundation was overflown with a flood, which said unto God, Depart from us, and what can the Almighty do for them? May God bless the reading of Holy Scripture to our hearts. Eliphaz and his two friends spoke much truth in their discourses to Job. Nevertheless, they failed to apply the truth accurately. To Job. Reading the discourses of these three friends reminds us, in a way, a way not quite as extreme, but of Balaam in the words that he gave, in the prophecies he gave. He spoke much truth, but he was unfortunately a stranger to the truth himself. Well, I have a little higher hopes for these three friends of Job, but certainly they wrongly applied what they said to Job, but much of what they said was true in its own way. The mistake they made was to wrongly assume that Job's afflictions were punishments for his sin. Or sins, sins that had not yet been disclosed or discovered, but they keep trying to find out what Job had done that had brought all of this trouble and affliction upon him. Their one-dimensional prosperity gospel left them no other option. We preached through the book of Job many years ago, and one point that we made repeatedly, following uh, Calvin's repeated emphasis of that same point, was this. The three friends had a bad case, but argued it well. Job had a good case, but argued it poorly. Well, Our text here is truth, even from the lips of Eliphaz. Eliphaz bids Job to consider the way of sinners in ages past. Hast thou marked the old way which wicked men have trodden? 
And the next verse shows us that he's thinking especially of the generation before the flood, which were cut down out of time, whose foundation was overflown with a flood. And the arrogance of that generation is described in verse 17. They said unto God, depart from us, and what can the Almighty do for them? No doubt the memory of the flood was more fresh in the minds of people in Job's day than in our day. And Eliphaz uses that knowledge to issue this warning to Job, and that's the way that this comes to Job as a warning. They assume that he's walking in this unjust, ungodly way, or he wouldn't be suffering like he's suffering. And they say, Job, if you don't mark and consider the way that wicked men have trodden and the judgment and the punishment that came upon them for it, then you may be following in their steps and not even know it. Mark the way. Consider it. This Old Testament passage is something of an equivalent to the words of our Lord in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 7 when he said, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So, let us, by God's grace today, do what Eliphaz told Job to do, and let us mark the old way which wicked men have trodden and consider not only the way itself but where it leads and let us take the warning to heart. We may need it more than Job did. What is this old way? Well, it's interesting that it's called the old way. Just because something is old doesn't mean that it's good. We have so much new evil from our perspective that we assume anything old must be reliable and good, but it is not so. Sin is not new. Sin has been around for a long time, hasn't it? The question is not, is it old? And of course, the question is not even, is it new? But the question is, is it according to God's word? Is is it according to the law and the testimony of God? And I read earlier from Genesis chapter 3, but a little later on there in Genesis chapter 6, we read of the old way of those 
who were the generation of Noah before the flood. And you'll recognize the wording from Genesis chapter 6 that describes the utter moral collapse of that generation. It is described as a generation of great wickedness in which every thought was only evil continually. They are described as corrupt. And the earth, it says, was filled with violence. That is, violation of God's law. Utter lawlessness and abuse. And it was so bad that it called for severe judgment from God. That was the old way in which wicked men have trodden. But that way did not begin with Noah's generation. It began much earlier. It was older than the Genesis 6 generation. The way of the wicked was already old by that time because it began in the Garden of Eden as we read in Genesis chapter 3 earlier. The way, the old way of sin was opened with Adam and Eve in rebellion against God and it has never been closed Back, That way is still in existence, multitudes still walking on it. All of Adam's descendants have walked in it ever since. Not only did the old way not begin with Noah's generation, but much earlier with Adam himself, but it did not end even at the flood. For we see generations after the flood following the same old way. Somehow the flood didn't get rid of it all. It survived somehow on the ark, as it were. And the same sinful attitudes and actions before the flood, existed in a particular way. In Genesis chapter 19, (coughs) in the city of Sodom, the city of Gomorrah, and other cities there in that region. Let me remind you of the words of the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 17, where he says, As it was... In the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. And then he says, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. 
the conditions that prevailed in Noah's day before the flood continued to prevail in Lot's day and Abraham's day after the flood. They didn't learn anything from the flood, did they? Life went on as opportunity for sin as usual. The same sinful attitudes and actions continued on after the flood and according to what Jesus says there in Luke 17, will continue till the end of time until Jesus comes again. And so, as we read here in Job chapter 17, in verse, or Job 22 and verse 17, likewise, we hear people saying these same things in their own way and in their own vocabulary today. They say to God, depart from us. We want nothing to do with God. Who needs God? Leave us alone, God. And what can the Almighty do? What can He do for anybody? Or what can He do to anybody? It sounds so much like today. Peter tells us to expect that. Where is the sign of His coming? What's He going to do? He's not going to do anything. Well, this is the old way of sin, the old way which wicked men have trodden. So let's mark this way and look at it carefully and see it for what it is. And I'll mention several particulars here. The old way which wicked men have trodden is a way of pride. That was the appeal made to Eve. It was, you will be as wise as God. And of course, it really can't stop at that. You'll be wiser than God. You won't be under his limitations anymore. This was the temptation that appealed to Eve. Be your own God. It was an appeal to pride. And today, this old way is still with us. People today continue to sit in judgment over God in their own minds. They insist on being their own God And it is nothing but sinful pride that leads them there. They find fault with the limitations that God sets upon them in his word and in his rule. That's the old way of sin, a way of pride. It is secondly a way of selfishness. As you read Genesis 3 there, you see so clearly Eve is thinking of herself. She has become the object of her own affections. She is preferring herself before God. 
She wants to determine herself and define herself. Not to have God to determine and define her. And this old way is still with us today. Maybe the most obvious example of it is the selfishness in today's generation that insists on, in fact, defining themselves as things like gender fluid and able to transition from male to female or vice versa. It is the ultimate insult to the creator to profess and pretend such things as these. And it is utter self-love and setting aside any regard for God that leads people in this direction. The old way of sin is a way of unbelief and distrust. In Genesis chapter 3, everything that Satan said appearing in a serpent to Eve sounded credible, plausible, believable. And everything that God had said Everything that had been communicated to her from Adam that God had told him seemed unplausible, incredible, unbelievable. This is the old path. And we see nothing has changed to a mind that is darkened in sin. Unbelief is credible. Unbelief is believable. And people will follow and embrace the most senseless and self-contradicting arguments. Why is that? Well, I think we have to say ultimately it's because they don't want to believe. And I've come to the conclusion that rather than answer every senseless and self-contradicting argument that unbelievers put up, maybe we should cut to the chase and say, tell me, why do you not want to believe? Tell me why you don't want to believe, because you're willing to believe all kinds of silliness. Why do you not want to believe this book and this God? And you know the answer to that, even though I haven't yet gotten an answer from anyone that I've put that question to. The answer is, I don't want to believe that because I know I'll have to give up my sin. And I don't want to give it up. That's the honest answer. But this is the old way. It's a way of unbelief. 
It's also a way of infecting others with the same disease of sin. You know, Eve was not content to sin alone. As soon as she had disobeyed the command of God, the very next thing we read is that she gave the fruit to Adam. She didn't want to be the only one. She wasn't content to sin alone. She had to get Adam involved and on board. This is the old way of sin. Sin loves company. Follow me in my sinful path. Eve said. And so it is today. And it is just mind-boggling sometimes to see grown-ups so eager to bring younger ones into their sins with them. You've seen it and I have. They use a phrase called coming of age and what coming of age means is your first taste of outward sin. Usually in some sexual way. And though this generation pretends to be so protective of young children for a point, that age threshold is becoming younger and younger. I know you read the headlines like I do. You know what's going on. The age of consent. Some want to do away with it altogether. The old way of sin is to get everyone on board with it. We want everybody to be together in sin. And they advertise it as the way of enjoyment. You can see any number of advertisements. Look how much fun we're having. They never advertise the end of the old way. It's always just the pleasure along the way. I still can't get over parents going to spring break with their college-age children so they can all sin together. Well, sin loves company. The old way of sin is self-defending, self-justifying, blaming others. And we see this in both Adam and Eve. When God confronts Adam, Adam says, well, it was Eve that fed me. God confronts Eve and she says, well, it was the devil, it was the serpent. Adam, especially in his response, gives sort of an oblique blame to God himself. The woman. He doesn't just say the woman enticed me. He says, the woman that you gave me. Both Adam and Eve are so quick 
to defend themselves and blame others. And what's missing there in Genesis 3 is any broken heartedness, any repentance, any confession of sin, any plea for mercy. And this old way is still with us today. I remember growing up now and then uh, hearing this phrase made popular by a comedian, the devil made me do it. That entertainer thought that he could make a joke out of shifting the blame from himself to the devil. And I think maybe Flip Wilson was ahead of his time because our generation of psychologists has perfected beyond anything that he imagined this shifting of the blame. There's no personal responsibility for anything. There's no shame. There is instead a complete refusal to own any guilt before a holy God. It was my parents' fault. It was my teacher's fault. It was society's fault and so on. Again, the old way of wickedness is the path of least resistance. It's the easiest. It goes downhill. Mr. Spurgeon, who preached a great message on this text, put it this way. The way of sin is such an easy way, you can find it in the dark. And this, beloved, is the way in which we all naturally go. And because it's all downhill, we gain momentum as we go. Again, listen to Spurgeon. He says, only put a child on his feet and leave him alone. And his first footsteps are toward this broad way. He will need no teaching. You shall have no difficulties in training him. He will find out the evil path and he will run in it. A, he will delight in it, and unless the grace of God shall turn him, he will continue in it even when he leaneth upon his staff, even when he's hobbling with a cane. And when his hair grows gray, he will still persevere in the old way which men have trodden. It's still the way of least resistance. And in that sense, the easiest way, and though ultimately the way of transgressors is hard. Oftentimes, that hardness is not realized until the end, when it's too late. Very quickly here, the old way is furthermore an obstinate way. And here we think of Noah in particular, in his generation, that is, Noah preached to them for 120 years. Warning of judgment to come. Giving them the word of God. He's a preacher of righteousness, the New Testament tells us. Yet no one listened. No one paid any attention to him. Except 
a few of his own family. And we read in Matthew 24 that the rest of the world's population that was that numbered perhaps in the billions by that time knew not until the flood came and took them all away. That is, they did not consider Noah's message or whatever portion of it reached them until the flood came and took them all away. The way of wicked men, the old way which wicked men have trodden is an obstinate way. How few today heed the warnings given by God through his Noahs of today. (coughs) They close their ears and refuse to hear. And one more thing here, the old way of sin is, as Jesus says in Matthew 7, a wide way, a broad way. It has a wide entrance and a wide pathway. It, it looks more like a superhighway. There are many on it, and there's always room for more. It's the way of the crowd. It's the way of the world. And if I could just enlarge the illustration a little bit here, this broad way has many lanes in it. We've been considering one lane, especially here this morning. The lane that is for the atheist and the immoral. But you know, not far off is another lane. And that's a lane for the moralist who would not want to own the the immoral in the lane next to him. There's the lane of the theist as much as the atheist. There's all kinds of religion, after all, in the broad way and in the old way of sin. The problem is the religion that is there is the religion of self-righteousness. The religion of pleasing God with your own good works. There are multitudes on that old way who think that they are working their way to God as they go along. And they refuse to receive freely from him all that they need through Jesus Christ. And so this is a very broad way. There's room for all kinds of sinners who appear on the surface to oppose one another. But the thing they have in common is they reject the gospel of Christ and they are headed to a common destination. And that brings us to this point briefly. Where does the old way lead? Well, in Adam's case, the old way led to death. That's what God told him it would lead to, and that is exactly what it led to. Death for Adam and death for all who followed him. In the case of Noah's generation, what did this old way lead to? 
it led to just what our text in Job tells us. They were cut down out of time. What does that mean? We would say they died a premature death. The flood came upon them suddenly. And that whole generation, people of all ages, perished in the waters of the flood. And notice again the description at the end of verse 16, whose foundation was overflown with a flood. (coughs) Everything on earth that seemed so stable and secure and sure was utterly overthrown and overflowed with a flood. Everything became unstable. We might say it this way. They had their props knocked out from under them forever. And our Lord uses language similar to this in his warning. Again, from Matthew chapter 7. He speaks of a flood of destruction. Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. In a way, you can't help but think of a scene like the flood there in the words of Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount. Of course, this is just an illustration the Lord is giving us here. We know from other scriptures that this present world will be destroyed, not with a flood, in fact, but with fire. Think of it as a flood of fire, or in the terms of Revelation, a lake of fire. This is the end of where the old way leads. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And friends, for those who follow this old way, there are no survivors. The terrors of hell are unspeakable. The term used sometimes in the New Testament is perhaps the most graphic that we can understand. It's like a burning pile of trash that never stops. It's dreadful. This is the old way. This is what lies at the end of the old way which wicked men have trodden. And so this passage comes as a warning. Eliphaz is warning Job about it. But we should take the warning today. If you walk in that way, in that old wicked way, the inevitable end is destruction, eternal dying. 
If you continue in the old way, you must expect the same end. Now, one of the great follies that people tell themselves and tell one another is, I can go on in the old broad way and still end up in eternal life. If you do, you'll be the first one that ever did. And the fact is, God has assured us in his word that that will never happen. And so it behooves us today to heed the warning. Mark the old way which wicked men have trodden. And go another way. And what is the other way? Oh, it's a much better way. It's the way of Christ. It's the way of the cross. Jesus described it as a narrow way. Far less traveled. Full of difficulties. Sometimes lonely. We encounter difficulties entering that way because the gate is narrow. We find difficulties pursuing that way because the way itself is narrow. And so the Lord tells us there in Matthew 7 that we must strive to enter. No one ever entered by accident. No one ever just stumbled along and looked up and, well, I'm on the narrow way now. Mr. Edward Payson, who also preached a fine sermon on this text, said, If you have not striven to enter it, you are not on it. He also said something like this, If you find your way crowded, be sure you're on the broad way. On this better way, the way of Christ, there's only one lane. And it is the way of trusting in him and dying to sin and self and self-righteousness. It is the way of obedience to Christ. But thank God it is the way of peace. And though it is full of difficulties Anyone who is on it would never leave it. And consider where this other way leads. Jesus says it leads to life. The presence of God, joy, the very opposite of the destruction and the eternal dying that the way of sin leads to. This leads to eternal life, living. Sharing in Christ's glory. And this, beloved, must be the determining factor as to which way you go. If the destination is life, then any difficulties getting there are worth it. And if the destination is death, any pleasures on the way are not worth it. The way is 
only as good as the end to which it leads. And so let us not follow the old way of wicked men, but follow the way of our Savior himself who said, I am the way. And he says, come to the Father by me. So I want to ask you this question today. Are you on this way? Are you on Christ's way? Is he your way? Do you come to God by him? Do you come to eternal life through him? Are you walking with him? Are you trusting in him for righteousness? Are you in step with him? If not, I urge you and I invite you to come and enter this narrow gate in this narrow way and walk in it until you reach heaven itself. Let's each examine our own hearts today. And if you are on this way, rejoice with me and press on and let us endeavor to bring others to it.